Hey, thanks for listening to the Tech Weekly Podcast. This is episode 15, and I'm back from a very long vacation of making episodes. Um, Believe it or not, uh, the reason for my long break of making episodes is the fact that I've been on vacation and actually enjoying summer a little bit. So I'm back here, and hopefully we'll be back on the weekly schedule of making episodes, but who knows? In the time that has elapsed between our last episode and today, we have, or a lot of news has been made. Uh, first of all, probably the the biggest bit of technology news that anyone can name within the last year is the Apple iPhone. And the Apple iPhone was released um, uh, June 29th, I believe, a long time ago. Yes, I know. Um, and nobody got killed in the release, and, uh, well, that was good. Uh, I took a look at the Apple iPhone reviews, a lot of the specs on it, and all sorts of stuff that's floating around the internet, and the first thing that really struck me with the iPhone was the battery life. Now, I read that the battery life was six hours, and at first I thought that the battery life for the whole phone uh, was six hours, and, um... I thought to myself, you know, that that's a really short time. I mean, you have this phone here, and you know, if you're like a a person who commutes between, like, say, Long Island and New York City, you take this phone, you have it on the Long Island Railroad, you better have a charger with you, and you better be able to charge it with you when you're at your office, um, because the battery life only lasts six hours. But then I read um, on Wikipedia, of course, um, that the iPod function of the iPhone has a six-hour battery life, that the iPhone itself can, I guess what they call, be on standby mode, which is where you just have it out on for about 24 hours. And I'm like, okay, well, that's a little bit better. You can turn it off and maybe extend the battery life. But still, I mean, they claim the battery life of standby is 24 hours. But if you start talking on that thing, uh, the phone's just going to chew through the battery like real fast. I mean, I know I have a phone here. It's a Motorola V557 or V550. I I leave that thing on my desk. Uh, I won't touch it for like um, five days at a time, and it'll be on the whole time. I mean, supposedly that uh, phone can last, can stay on standby for 14 days. Um... Now, of course, it's not. It doesn't have a big screen. It doesn't have, you know, the advanced interface that the iPhone has. It doesn't have the processor requirements that the iPhone has. But, I mean, really, um, that that 24-hour standby life for the uh, Apple iPhone. Uh, and of course, then the Apple says that now, if your battery runs out or battery stops charging, which it probably will, because like all batteries, they will not take a charge after a while. You'll have to pay seven, like seventy, sixty-eight dollars. Send it into Apple. Go without your phone for like, I guess, eight to ten days. They'll replace the battery, and they'll send it back to you for like sixty, seventy dollars. It's not a user-replaceable battery, and if you try to replace the battery on your own, you're gonna void the warranty. Alright, now, I, I realize that the iPhone is only in its first generation, and it's, you know, it, it there are many places it can be improved upon and will be approved, improved upon, but I think that if anyone's looking out there to buy an iPhone, you better have a little money, because I mean, let's do a brief calculation here, and I'll bring up my Windows calculator here. Um, start out with uh, basically $500 for the phone. 
uh, and you have to agree to a two-year contract. That's another thing. You can't just buy the iPhone to have the iPod. You have to agree to a two-year contract to activate that, to activate the actual iPhone and be able to use the iPod features within. Of course, now ingenious hackers on the Internet have uh, found a way to activate it, uh, but you have to agree to a two-year contract. So the minimum you can pay is $55 per month times 24 months. That's uh, $1,320. Uh, you add in the $500 cost for an Apple iPhone, and maybe you replace the battery once, so that's $70. So the total cost of having an iPhone for two years is $1,890. It's a pretty expensive phone. That's $1,990. So even at the lowest cost configuration, if you buy the biggest iPhone, it's going to cost you just under $2,000 over the two years that you have that phone. If I'm going to buy a phone, I'm going to go to a singular store or a Radio Shack, agree to a two-year contract um, with you know data and whatever. I'm going to get that phone free, and I'm going to end up spending a lot less uh, than I spent on the iPhone. But if you have a lot of money, and you really want to buy that iPhone, go ahead. Um, I'm sure Apple's going to um, improve the iPhone, I hope at least, um, and it'll probably get better and make it more expensive, but you never know. Um, there are a list of uh, plans that you can buy here, and I just found it here. I'm, I'm surfing the web while talking. I can actually do that now. Uh, the prices start out uh, at about $59.99, uh, per month, it'll give you 450 minutes. Uh, believe it or not, with all the plans, including the lowest plan, you get unlimited data, which is email and web, which is actually uh, a very good thing. For $59.99, I would be using um, the web more than I would be calling. So, I mean, I guess it's it works out. I mean, I think unlimited data on a regular phone is like $30 anyway, so I guess you're getting your money's worth. Uh, you get 200 text messages, 5,000 nights and weekends, rollover minutes, and unlimited mobile to mobile. I say if you want to get more minutes out of the iPhone, you can either buy another plan or, because iPhone runs Mac OS 10, you probably could get a Skype kind of thing. You'd probably have to hack it a little bit. But you, you'd probably get Skype to work on there, and because it has internet, you could probably use the phone through the internet. Um, but I'm not buying an iPhone unless Apple sends me one, which I don't think that they are, um, because I'm kind of a little angrier at Apple, because I recently updated the firmware in my iPod, and it basically made the iPod when it just basically broke the iPod. I'll talk about that a little bit later and uh, in the opinion section of this podcast about why firmware updates are a bad thing. Other stories in the news. eBay is going to be allowed to still use it. its buy it now feature, so you'll want to buy it now. Um... Basically, what happens is um, it was a patent dispute, as many of these cases are, um, and they got into a little scuffle. eBay got into a little scuffle with Merck Exchange uh, for a patent they filed in 1995. Uh, they filed two patents, really, which one was for an online auction and one was for a direct buy patent. Um, and what what they also do, what and what happened is. I guess these people looked at eBay and said, "Well, hey, they're making money off our patent. Let's let's sue them because, you know, they're they're popular and you know, 
they want we we got to make some money here it's like the old old adage you know if you have someone who makes their living off suing people which i'm sure there are people who do that it's like quick we're running out of money we got to sue someone <laughs> so um they sued ebay and the judge said nah they're fine um but they did make ebay pay out a 25 million dollar infringement uh fee so buy it now is safe uh but not without a payment from eBay, and I'm sure that $25 million to eBay is not much of anything. Uh, we've got some more news from Dell, and this is actually not really that big of news. Dell's just bringing out some new um, products here. Um, they introduced a new uh, line of desktop computers. It really isn't a new. They just renamed their, their desktops. They completely got rid of the Dimension line and they replaced it with the Inspiron. So now Inspiron's a laptop and a desktop. It used to only be a laptop. Um, they've made them colorful. They've put paint on them, you can customize a paint job, you, and of course they've upgraded their processors and so on and so forth, so you get a little bit better performance. Um, this is in the home and home office section. I uh, would doubt that you would be able to get a colored laptop in the business section, but news from the business section of Dell is that they recently introduced a line of business computers that comes without crapware, and if you don't know what crapware is, crapware is that kind of software you get on a computer that's trial software, a QuickBooks trial, a uh, singular trial, a, you know, icons advertising that you buy an extended warranty. They're all that stuff that is installed on your computer above the windows that you really don't need. It's like they install the real player, the real arcade, which makes you buy games. It's, it's that stuff that really isn't useful that we all usually delete before we, uh, um, really start using our computer. Well, they, Dell has announced that uh, their new line of small business computers called the Vostro, which actually has some good processors in it uh, and components as well, will now come without grabware. So I don't know about you, but I would actually fake the fact uh, that I have a small business just to get a uh, one of those machines without grabware because I, I just absolutely hate it. I mean, the one piece of crapware that I think every computer comes with is the AOL trial, and the AOL trial is so hard to delete. It used to be, I mean, I deleted it, and uh, it was there for about a year. I uninstalled it, I deleted the shortcut, and it would keep appearing there periodically. And finally, the only way I got rid of it was actually by reformatting my machine when I did my yearly reformat and got rid of everything. But it's just, it's just so aggravating that... Um, when they have these crap where you really don't do anything. I mean, they, they uh, give you, like, free ISPs. I mean, how many ISPs you have, do you need? I mean, probably, I mean, if they really look at it, if they really do a, or the companies who are advertising with this crap or do a real marketing study, they'll find out that they're really not getting much from having this crap on this machine because, I mean, look at it. If you buy a computer, are you going to be buying an ISP with it? I mean, unless you're really new to computers, you probably already have an ISP that you're using. So, to me, I think crapware is another way that um, they really make expensive computers uh, more expensive and more time-consuming, and basically it's just another um, perk or benefit to going over to Mac, and it's another influence of going over to Mac, because the only pre-installed software that you would get on a Mac is the iLife uh, suite, 
which is actually a pretty good piece of software. So, Electronic voting machines in the state of California have been subjected to a hacking test. Uh, the Several machines uh, were given to a research university um, to see if they could they were hackable. And basically what happened was the hackers went into the machines and completely changed uh, the voting results that were in the machines. Of course, the voting results were fake. Proving the fact um, that electronic voting machines are, are unreliable and are not secure yet. Uh, so that led the United States Congress to pass a law that complete Paperless voting machines are now not allowed in the United States during elections. So, I mean, they can use electronic voting machines, but these machines now have to have a paper trail. The Apple iTunes Music Store has sold 3 billion songs. Um, the record amount of songs was just announced recently, and it sent Apple stock mm, slightly rising. Uh, but if you've been watching the stock market, which maybe some of you have been, uh, Apple shares actually went down a little bit because of the market concerns. Uh, if anybody doesn't know, the stock market has been going down uh, hundreds of points uh, every, pretty much every day because of fears over housing and, and mortgages. And, and it's, just, it's just so sad that you s to see companies like Apple taking a beating when they're really doing very well. So uh, $3 billion iTunes song sold and $3 billion made by iTunes. And it seemed like only, what, a year ago that they sold $1 billion? It's just incredible the amount of growth that Apple's going through lately. Uh, the Recording Industry Association of America, yes, those people we know and love. The RIAA has been taking a beating lately in some uh, uh, file-sharing lawsuits that they've been uh, initiating. Um, they actually sued an Army sergeant, uh, Sergeant Nicholas... Paternoster um, of Ill illegally sharing files. Um, they showed screenshots and they showed files uh, on his computer that included illegally downloaded songs, but also included 4,200 other files that were personal, including pornographic uh, co content um, that had nothing to do uh, with the downloaded music. Um, now, they then, after realizing that, there was pornography in there and that it really had nothing to do um, with their case. Uh, they asked to have the evidence that they were showing uh, striked and they put in this um, other piece of evidence. It was modified. It, it didn't have uh, the porno pornographic content shown. Um, and then, of course, well, they agreed to have the evidence shown, but then the sergeant's attorney asked the judge to strike the original exhibit and the uh, new exhibit completely uh, because of professional courtesy, because uh, they allegedly basically violated his privacy. They agreed, and he was exonerated. Um, so then he countersued um, the RIAA uh, for violating his privacy, and I totally agree with him because... Um, here you have files, and you're an army sergeant, and okay, so fine, you maybe uh, look at Playboy once in a while. Um, not that big of a deal. You, you really don't need to have your um, whole reputation ruined because some artist want to make some money. Um, so he won, and he got money from the RIAA. And uh, also, uh, another uh, 
interesting uh, case was Tanya Anderson. Um, sh she was exonerated um, because they mistakenly accused her of copyright infringement, and she didn't do anything. And she and the RIA went so far in the prosecution for her as to call, trying to contact your eight-year-old daughter to testify against her mother. And they called her at, at the daughter's elementary school and lying of who they were, trying to gain contact to the daughter. So, I mean, the Recording Industry Associated of America is just being very uh, hard-nosed about the way they're going through these cases. Um, and in reality, I think that the public has had enough of it already because I think we can tell when recording artists are making enough money and don't need any more and when certain people are being, uh, shall we say, greedy. Um, and we can also tell when people such as the Recording Industry Associated America are intimidating average citizens. Um, so... I, they better watch themselves, or they're going to have some serious problems uh, with image. Not that they don't already. Uh, the people at Mozilla, the makers of Firefox, have released yet another patch that patches an interesting flaw, an actually rather nasty flaw, in Firefox that, believe it or not, uh, allows you to, or allows the browser to launch programs such as a malicious program, uh, when you click on specially uh, malicious links, uh, violating any need for uh, user permission. So they released patch 2.0.0.6 uh, uh, just recently, and yes, I updated my Firefox, so now I can't um, uh, download malicious programs. Uh, this was actually just two weeks after... Uh, security researchers found this flaw allowing you to open programs without the permission of the user. Uh, this flaw is also apparent in Internet Explorer, but they're really not doing that much. <laughs> uh, but Microsoft isn't really doing that much about it. The FCC has made uh, more provisions that would allow Google to start uh, their research with the 700 megahertz band. Um, it just came up when the FCCs, you know, as some people know, are uh, reallocating their bands. They do this uh, every once in a while as new technologies come in, old technologies go out, uh, that basically make these bands dormant. So they reallocate them, excuse me, uh, to better suit the needs of the current technologies. Uh, and Google was actually the first one to step up and basically say, well, we want to do something with the 700 megahertz band. Um, so they said, yeah, okay, you can do that. Um, and if you want to buy it, you got to allow consumers to use whatever mobile devices um, and applications that they want. Uh, because I think what they're basically trying to avoid is having another, like, kind of cell phone thing where you look at the cell phone bands. Well, you have cell phone companies, they have a specific set of phones that you can use, and you can only use them... Uh, sometimes on those bands, they're locked, the locked phones basically, and unless you hack them, which in some cases is illegal, actually under the DMCA it's really not, but in, under EULA's it might be, um, I, I think they're trying to avoid that. They're basically trying to make these bands more open and more friendly to consumers, which is uh, a great thing um, on the FCC's part, because openness and consumer choice is a great thing. Uh, I mean, especially now, a prime case of this is the Apple iPhone. Um, only for singular, and you unless you hack it 
and possibly void uh, end user license agreements, um, you you can't use it anywhere legally and easily. You have to use it on AT&T. So I think they're trying to avoid something like that. And that's a very good thing that they're doing. You know, they're making it easier for consumers um, to use the devices that they want and the programs that they want. Um, and that's always a great thing for consumers. Uh, aluminum and glass. Hmm. That has been the latest mantra from Apple. Aluminum and glass. Aluminum and glass. Uh, if you haven't known, a press event was scheduled for this past Tuesday. Uh, let me bring up the calendar here. It is... It wa was the 7th. And a Apple press event, one of these events, invitation only, Steve Jobs speaks and whatever... Uh, was scheduled. Now, a lot of people started speculating that it was going to be about the iPhone 2.0 or iPod widescreen, but the Apple press people said it was going to stick to the Mac, and they did. They stuck to the Mac. Um, they introduced, finally, the new iMac, uh, which is been a little... It's been changed a little bit. It looks a little bit slicker, and uh, it has a little bit more oomph in the under the hood. Um, let me see if I can get to the uh, product descriptions here. Uh, they introduced it. Oh wow, it's expensive. Uh, the it comes in 20 inch and 24 inch models, and the processors start out with 2.0 gigahertz Intel Core 2 Duo, which is actually not that bad, and a one gigabyte of memory, 250 gigabyte hard drive. Uh, da, da, da. Oh, and a really uh, nice video card here. Hmm. Uh, and they go up to an, a 2.8 gigahertz Intel Core 2 Duo, Core 2 Extreme, two gigabytes of memory, 500 gig hard drive, and a 256 megabyte video card, which I'm sure is very good. And you can also customize this. Uh, you can add up to four gigabytes of memory, which wow, adds $700 onto the bill. Wow, for 200. Wow. That's expensive. Uh, <laughs> uh, you can also get, let's see, let me go back there. You can also get up to one terabyte of hard drive space, which only adds on $450. That's weird. And, of course, the Mighty Mouse is also comes with it. Uh, they've also made a new keyboard, which is supposed to be better and more attractive to the eyes. Um, and, believe it or not, they also redid their uh, iMovie software gave it a new icon, but they've also made it easier to use, and also a very easy and very attractive publish to YouTube feature, which is very helpful. Uh, so, also they've done a new iWorks 08, which introduces a new spreadsheet program, which basically takes Excel and makes it look like it came from a Mac and look like it is actually professionally done. Um, so, you know, not that big of a thing. It could have been released in a press release. But, you know, it's always good news to hear that Apple's on the progressive side updating their uh, products and software. You can go on um, Apple.com. Right on the main page, you should see all the new iMacs. And you can watch the ads, and you can watch the special press event. A new study has been released that shows that ch children and adults' fear of the Internet is overblown. As I have said many times, not here, but in the actual world, um, 
a the NBA, NSBA, excuse me, the National School Board Association, uh, which represents several thousand um, uh, school boards across the United States, surveyed uh, 1,277 students aged 9 to 17, 1,039 parents, and 250 school administrators. Um, this stu study was funded in part by Microsoft and News Corp, and they, of course, own MySpace. Um, basically, out of those 1,277 students, one student said that they had actually met someone that they had talked to on the Internet without the permission of their f uh, parents. And believe it or not, uh, the study even goes on to say that social networking might even be a good thing at schools. Now, this has been a complete 180 for this uh, school board, schools and school boards, because basically schools have said, well, we don't want any social networking at our schools at all. And now you've got another, you know, basically a very uh, learned source saying, well, it might be a good thing. Um, it goes to show you uh, that the Internet is a better thing that people than people say. I mean, in the picture of the media, I mean, if you watch M M MSNBC and that To Catch a Predator, they're basically trying to frame the internet as a bad thing. They're trying to scare people. The internet is not a bad thing. The thing about the internet is that it's the real world. And I don't know why people want to use the internet as an exception of the real, real world, because it's not. I mean, if you're on the internet, you're going to be subject to the real world, just as if you're on as if you're on the street of New York. So we have to stop being so afraid of something that we don't really know about. Uh, a lot of the people who are afraid of the internet don't even know half about it, uh, and we have to start realizing that it's like the real world. And if if our teens are are on the internet and are experiencing what the internet is like, I think they'll be better prepared for the actual real world itself. Uh, so. You know, it just goes to show you that the media and some people who think they know what they're talking about can create a large fear that's actually based on virtually nothing. Uh, net radio enthusiasts and net radio broadcasters have gotten a bit of a reprieve from sound exchange. Um, an agreement uh, between sound exchange and the net radio people uh, have basically allowed them to temporarily not enforce uh, the new uh, radio royalty rates, but believe it or not, a congressional bill is actually in the works, and over 125 congressional representatives have now co-sponsored the bill, and that will basically tell SoundExchange to kind of reformat those uh, royalty rates or not to enforce them at all. So, if you go to SaveNetRadio.org, you can get involved in the fight to save net radio, and it's, it's really a good thing, because a lot of these... Uh, Small internet radio stations are from people like me, uh, who barely even have enough money to keep their station on the air, let alone pay the increasing royalty rates. Uh, it would definitely ruin a lot of people. So I encourage you to head over to SaveNetRadio.com. I'm not directly involved in it because I really don't play songs. Um, for commercial purposes, and I don't, don't have to pay royalties. Uh, but if you, you know you all, you listen to Net Radio at all, it's definitely a good idea to go over to SaveNetRadio.org, and there you can get a link to contact your representative um, and tell them that you really want to, you know, not have Sound Exchange claim more royalties uh, off the backs of really not affluent uh, Net Radio personnel. Um, 
And just a little bit of a side joke, I would contact my representative Hillary Clinton, but she is, of course, as we know, um, campaigning for president, which is something that she said she wouldn't do. More on my political podcast. Um, and, of course, uh, lastly, and this is actually the last uh, bit of news tonight, um, YouTube and CNN partnered up uh, last week to actually create the first... Uh, political debate where actual people ask the questions. Uh, it was called the CNN YouTube debate. Anderson Cooper moderated it. He did an okay job. He didn't do the best job. Uh, individuals like you and me submitted questions to CNN and YouTube via YouTube, and the questions were played on the debate. Some were rather entertaining, and it was a very successful debate in my mind. Um, it got the candidates to kind of veer off the finely worded questions that the media usually crafts for them. Um, and, of course, you know, they're being politicians. They didn't answer all the questions fully. They, you know, when they got tough questions about health care, oil, the environment, gay marriage, you know, whatever, they acted like politicians and said something that sounds like they're answering it but not really answering it, which is politicians at their best. What, what can you expect? I think it was a, a relatively uh, successful debate because it got the candidates out of the mindset of, okay, now we got to answer questions of the actual American people. We don't have to always answer to the questions at our level. And I believe that if we subject all our candidates to this progress, uh, to this process, and make them answer to the actual American people who are voting for them, you know, we might discover sides of the candidates that we might not have seen. And it might actually be an interesting thing to see what actually comes out. So there's a Republican debate that I may or may not watch because I'm not a Republican um, that is uh, scheduled for, I don't exactly know right now, sometime in September. Uh, you can go on there and you can submit your questions to the uh, crooks, <coughs> excuse me, Republicans, um, and they might answer them. Uh, so uh, that's the news for this week. Um, but I now have a little bit of an opinion section on Apple, and it happens to be just a little pet, pe pet peeve of mine uh, with recent software companies that you have to have the re most recent update. Um, I had an iPod Nano, and I bought it last June. Um, I bought it at Best Buy and didn't buy the extended service plan, because um, I don't believe in extended service plans. And I had it for a year. You know, I realized after it that I, the hold switch on the device didn't work. And it was such a harangue to get the stupid iPod. I had to wait there for like an hour and a half to get someone who actually knew what they were talking about um, to actually get the iPod. And once I finally got it, it was the wrong color, and they already started ringing me up, so they had to unring me up, and then they, you know, it was, the stu it was just stupid. So I finally got the iPod, and I realized that the hold switch was broken. But it really was an issue because it really didn't matter for me. It, I didn't need a hold switch. Uh, so it was fine for a year, and then of course I got a new computer. I finally built my new computer, um, and I put iTunes 7 on it, and I knew there was a reason why I didn't upgrade to iTunes 7 immediately on my old computer. It asked me to upgrade the firmware, so being a concerned person, uh, I upgraded the firmware, um, and it the hold switch decided to work except that it decided to work in the locked position. Of course, now my iPod is locked. Well, I ended up buying a new iPod, and 
Uh, I'm selling the old iPod for parts on eBay. Um, I tried to downgrade the firmware, and it's very, very difficult. And it was, it was in fact, impossible to actually downgrade the firmware, which gets me a little angry because they make such a big production about having updates, but occasionally they don't work, like a recent firmware update to the video iPod. They released this firmware update, and guess what it, it, it did? It basically screwed up the video playback on the video iPod. Of course, they corrected it, but here you have several million people out there with video iPods not able to get uh, video on their iPods. It's a little annoying, and it's a little aggravating that they, A, pressure you so much to update, and B, that they won't let you downgrade to a firmware that you know that works. So, in my mind, it's your device, you should be able to put whatever firmware you want, whether it's from 1980 or 2007. You should be able to put whatever firmware you want. Okay, there's no iPod firmware from 1980. Uh, but you should be able to put whatever fir whatever firmware you want on there, and you sh they should support you in either downgrading or upgrading the firmware at any time. You know, it shouldn't be so hard to downgrade the firmware. It's easy to go up. It's not easy to go to, to go down, and actually, is a little bit of a joke. Um, it actually violates the uh, laws of physics of what goes up must come down. But I won't talk about that right now. Uh, but that's just a little annoying. And maybe if someone from Apple's is listening, which they probably aren't, they would like to tell me why that you pressure us to upgrade our firmware and software. When in reality, sometimes it can really screw up the device. And number two, why do you make it so hard that if you do screw up on a firmware that we can't go back to the original edition um, that we had and we knew it was working? It's just a little bit of a question of mine and a little bit of pit peeve of mine. And if anybody knows, I encourage you to call me up and I'll give you my contact information at the end of the show. Um, just a bit of interesting... Um, pit peeve of mine that I wanted to mention here. Probably not going to go anywhere, but anyway, I did mention that I built myself a new computer, finally, after about, uh, I don't know, uh, I want to say like four or five weeks of, well, not four weeks, maybe two weeks of fighting with Target Direct. I really shouldn't have said that. Um, but I finally built my new computer. It's a, it's a very good computer. Uh, it's got a 2.66 gigahertz processor, uh, Core 2 Duo, um, and it is got 2 gigabytes of RAM, you know, good video card, 256 megabytes of RAM in the video card, um, and it's got Vista, and Vista's alright, it's not the best, it's got its ups and downs, uh, but I will tell you that the first thing I learned how to do with this is how to turn that user account control thing off. That is just, uh, I hate it. Uh, I will tell you how to do that. Um, it's alright. Uh, this is okay. Um, actually, it's pretty good. I'm very surprised with it. I haven't really used Media Center that much, but I like it pretty much. Um, obviously, the computer I have is well capable of handling it. Um, my take on Vista... As I said, it's okay. Um, I have Vista Ultimate, which is the best of the best of the best. Um, the graphical tweaks that they have, the transparent windows, that's eh, all right. You know, it's not the best thing. Um, I do like the Flip 3D, though. That is quite interesting. Um, as I flip it through now, what I'm doing now, I can see that I'm recording in Audacity, and believe it or not, it actually shows the recording live. 
other things in Vista, you know, like the uh, new start menu, that's alright, I'm getting used to it. I guess once I warm up to Vista and once I get used to it, I'll like it completely. But for now, you know, I like it, it's it's Windows, it's, it is much, I will say this, that it is much more stable uh, than Windows XP F programs. If they freeze up, uh, you can either end them right away, instead of having to go through the control, delete, end task, and then it starts up dump prep dumpprep.exe, and then it takes forever. Uh, a program, you can either end it, or it'll respond right away. And that's really good. I love that, because, I mean, you know, programs aren't perfect. They do stall every once in a while, and, you know, you do have problems where you need to end a program. Uh, it's much more stable, and um, it seems to be a little bit faster. Of course, I'm running on a bit better computer, a lot better computer than my old one. Um... It's much faster, but, you know, there are some things that I don't like. I do like the uh, little sidebar thing. I have, uh, uh, I guess it's, I don't know, what, what would you call it? It's like a, you ever have one of those games where it's like a bunch of blocks, uh, like maybe like a picture that's like all scrambled up and you have to unscramble the blocks. I have one of them. I have, uh, I'm doing numbers right now instead of podcasting. I'm actually, if you can hear the clicks in the background, I'm doing a little number puzzle. I like the little, little Windows sidebar. I've got a stock ticker here and a clock. It's, you know, CPU meter. The sidebar, it's, you know, one of those things that I wouldn't buy Vista for. Uh, but it's, you know, something that makes it a little bit, you know, sweeter, I guess you'd call it. Um, the one thing that I don't like about Vista, and this is probably the one thing that you'll hear the most complaints about, is the program and hardware incompatibility. Um... One of my programs, which is one of my favorite games, SimCity 4, doesn't work. I'm going to get around to unscrewing that very soon. I'm going to probably do it either partition 10 gigabytes off my hard drive and install XP and put uh, the SimCity 4 on there, or I'll run parallels through it. Uh, it doesn't work with Vista. I don't know whether it's the actual video card driver that it doesn't want to work with or whether it's Vista, but it doesn't work. Um, also, what else doesn't work? Oh yeah, a network printer that I had on XP. It doesn't work in here. Um, and there was something else that doesn't work on here. Shoot, I can't think of it right now. But, there are several programs, and several pieces of hardware, that will not work with Vista. And it's the most aggravating thing. Oh yeah, I know I won't work with Vista. A wireless card. I had a wireless card. A Cisco Aeronet 350 or something. And I plugged it in. You know, it worked fine in XP. XP had the driver in there. It was plug and play. Vista? No driver. And of course you go over to Cisco. Oh, you have to do this. Register here. Do this. Fill this out. You can't get the driver. They have no driver for Vista. I mean, it's little, it's little things like that that aggravate me about software. And it's little things that will turn people off from uh, Windows Vista. But overall, um, it is a pretty good operating system. And if you're thinking about upgrading it, uh, upgrading to it, and you're going to get a new computer, uh, you know, I wouldn't, es you know, especially go out and buy Vista and put it on your computer. First of all, it's very heavy, and it needs... Uh, to it needs to have a lot of resources to run efficiently. So if you get an older computer, just stay with XP or whatever you have. If you're gonna buy a new computer, you're probably gonna have Vista, and you know it'll work. Um, the new computers they'll have components uh, that'll have drivers already built for Vista, so you wouldn't have to worry about that. Um, but I wouldn't especially go out and run to upgrade to Vista. But you know, overall, it's not as bad as I expected it to be. It's actually pretty good, and. Uh, 
I'm actually quite surprised that my computer didn't blow up and disintegrate into 50 million little charred pieces after I installed Vista. So, that's a good thing. Um, anyway, that's my little bit of uh, two-second review of Windows Vista. As promised uh, from last episode, which was very long ago, I told you how to buy a PC. Now I'm going to tell you how to build a PC. And I was planning to make this a very extensive, including a video guide to do it, but um, I found some really great tutorials on YouTube on how to do this. But I will tell you a few things about how to build your own PC right now. The first thing you need to know about how to build a PC is to know whether you should build a PC or not. You should only build a PC, and you should only attempt to build a PC if you're very knowledgeable about computers. You know, if you were to take apart your computer, like if you were to screw the side off and you look in, you should be able to name every, pretty much every part in it. You should be able to name the processor, the hard drive, the CD-ROM drive, all the sockets that each of those uh, devices interface through, and you should also be able to name all the types of interfaces that are on a, in a common computer. If you don't even know what the heck that is, you should not even attempt to build a PC because building a PC is all about being precise. Let me give you an example. A processor. A processor is, is if you've never seen one before, it's a little uh, thin metal box and it's got a bunch of little pins on the bottom. It's got like about three or four different interfaces and, then, and each of those processors doesn't fit interchangeably into those into those sockets because I mean look at the old Intel Pentium 4 that was a 478 uh, it's different now from the uh, du dual core or core 2 duo which goes into a 775 uh, socket there's a lot of matching that has to go on you have to match your processor to your motherboard your motherboard to your RAM your video card to your video slot um, and so on and so forth also your hard drive to whatever slot you have available there there's a lot of needing to know what hardware goes with what. And if you don't know a lot about that, you shouldn't attempt to build your own PC because A, you're going to spend a lot of money, and B, you're going to run into a lot of heartache. Uh, and it's just better if you don't know that much about computers to just go out and buy one. Um, if you do know a lot about computers, and you do know what all that stuff is, and you're saying, okay, maybe I want a little challenge, uh, know that you might spend a little bit more money than you want to because inevitably you might get a wrong part and you have to buy another one or something will go wrong. Um, so plan on spending a little bit more money than you thought. Um, then, basically the first step in uh, building your own PC is to peruse some of the computer parts websites. Those websites are Newegg.com, and that's about it. Also, you can find parts on PCConnection.com. You can also go to CompUSA.com. Uh, yeah, CompUSA is still in existence, kind of, sort of. Um, but uh, once you find your parts, uh, you got to find out how to put the computer together. And I can't really tell you how to do it here. It would kind of not be the best thing to do. So, uh, well, basically because I'm on an audio podcast and I can't really show you how to put a computer together. So the best thing to do is to go to YouTube.com and search for Build a PC, How to Build a PC. Uh, there are many great tutorials on there about how to build a PC and you will definitely be able to find some tutorials on there so if you're going to build a PC make sure you know what you're doing and make sure you buy the right parts anyway we thank you for listening to the Tech Weekly Podcast for uh, what is today? July 31st wow July is over with uh, this has been episode 15 I misspoke in the beginning of the episode episode 15 
Um, and thank you for listening. Oh, wait, no, before that, you can call us at 1718-475-6353. That's 1718-475-6353. Or you can email us at techweeklypodcast at gmail.com. That is techweeklypodcast at gmail.com. For now, thank you for listening, and have a great day.